Why is it a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Men rising up <laughs> to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. This is episode 40 of Arise, the Honest Man's podcast. We have a uh, highly esteemed and much, very much loved uh, guest with us, His Grace Mahatma Prabhu, who is joining us, I think, for the fourth time or the fifth time by now. Um, we're, we're very, very happy to have Mahatma Prabhu back with us again. Um, and today we are going to be uh, getting into a very interesting subject matter actually the first time we had Mahatma Prabhu on the on the show we entitled it um uh, sexual sobriety and we kind of began the discussion at that time but it it wasn't I feel like we didn't even cover 10 percent of what could be covered in this kind of discussion mm -hmm. um but it was still a really, a really wonderful discussion, and, and Mahatma Prabhu touched on so many different aspects of just like the experience of being a young devotee in our um, in our Krishna consciousness society today. And we really all felt like Mahatma Prabhu was our loving uncle, <laughs> father, who was um, just giving us all the insight and wisdom that we need to be able to navigate this path successfully and intact in an intact way uh anyway so today we've entitled the the episode sexual purity uh very particularly so because mahatma prabhu is going to be uh launching an online course um on sexual purity uh that is being launched on september the 6th and i'm just gonna give a little bit of info for that just some technical details i'll be posting the link in the comments um in just a moment, don't be concerned. We'll 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 get back to the technical details a few times throughout the show. Um, but essentially, what happens is once you make the purchase for the um, for the for the course, you'll be added to the course and a group, which which basically just information is shared. Um, the course begins and the content becomes available on September the sixth. Then there's there are about forty lessons with videos and exercises to go through, and uh, then the group. Essential purpose of the group is to create interaction with other users, ask questions, share realizations, and really have a sort of community around the experience of the course and then Mahatma Prabhu will do a weekly or a bi-weekly live session and webinar um, basically like as a, as a Q&A session. Um, so it's going to be really dynamic, really interactive and certainly um, very very helpful so we're uh, we're very enlivened at the prospect of this happening and uh, but yeah today we'll have certainly a, a very um, a lively discussion about how all of this came about anyway I'll leave that uh, for Jai Jagannath Prabhu my dear co-host to lead us into <laughs> <clears throat> I mean yeah I, I think you've already led into it naturally um, Let's, I, I like to start off just for clarity of terms. What is sexual purity or how do you conceive of that? And how did you decide to get into that work? <laughs> I have a godbrother. He said, don't call it sexual purity. It sounds like pure sex. Pure sex. <laughs> I never thought like that. I don't hear it like that, but that's funny. But he's uh, he 
had sexual challenges. So that's how he heard it, which was interesting. I, I probably most people don't. Uh, I about I don't know, 17 years ago or so, I started facilitating Japa workshops, uh, retreats, attending them and facilitating them. It was amazing. It was one of those like, why did we wait this long to do this? This is so important. And, you know, 16 rounds is what we vowed to do. And then I thought, well, if we're going to do Japa, we should do the four regulative principles. Of course, you know, meat eating, nobody really feel, has to worry about it. If you have a gambling addiction, you can just do a 12-step program, and very few devotees do. Intoxication, same thing. You could do a 12-step program. But the fourth principle, I call it the fourth principle. Uh, that's a challenge we all deal with. So then I thought, well, we make vows, so why don't I do a course on vows? And I did a course on vows, and that's that's in the making now. It's, it's time-consuming. I make I make all the videos in like six, eight hours because I know these, I've taught these things, so it's easy. But after that, getting the material and the editing, it just like goes on eternally. So that that is there, that will come out. And then when I did the vows course, I said, I said to myself, well, why are we talking about vows in general? Because we know the vow that's hard to follow, the one vow. But it's holistic because you have to have a vow consciousness also. So it helps. Sure. And I, I put the vow in the back burner and I said, let's do a sexual purity course. And the first one I did was in Columbus, Ohio, I don't know, 10 years ago. And then the next one I did was in Alachua. And in Alachua, like one out of 10 people are devotees. So wherever you go, it's pretty impossible to go out in Alachua and not see a devotee. So we advertised this course. It was for Alachua devotees in Alachua. And two or three women came up and said, you're pretty bold to do this. I said, why? She said, because nobody's going to come. I said, why? I said, because once they come, it's like they're admitting they're sex addicts. And I never thought of that. I just thought this would help us in our challenges, not like this is for sex addicts. Anyway, that was interesting. And, <laughs> but the, 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 the real impetus to the course was, well, this is how I, this is the reason I do courses, is because people come to me with their problems. And when a problem keeps coming up again and again and again and again, at some point I think we need to address it more than me just writing back an email. We have to go deeper. So my strategy is that the most common problems I would do courses on, online courses. So when people say, how do you deal with this? I say, well, there's a course. Like this course is going to go for like two or three months. So we stay together. We work together because I can write you one email and that, you know, you'll be good for three days. But what do you do after three days? So th this is not like a normal course. You know, this is like creating a group and the course is just part of it but the group mm. and the discussion and it's ongoing because it takes months to reframe your beliefs and, and some scars. So, but in addition to that, I, I feel as an older devotee that one of the best things I can do is share my experience, like where I failed, how I got up, how I figured it out. I don't, I don't think it's valuable for me to pretend that I didn't fail. Because I think it makes it 
it it makes it kind of makes people think, well, like, well, you're Mahatma Das. Of course you didn't fail, you know, but I'm Karuna Avatar, and of course I will fail. You know? <laughs> so I don't wanna I don't want people to think that way, and I don't think anybody should. Aside from a few rare devotees who were like probably sannyasis for the last hundred lives, most <laughs> most devotees. And even one astrologer said, I was a sannyasi, but I fell down. You know, so being a sannyasi for 100 lives, yeah, maybe you fell down 100 times. Who knows? But aside from that, when you see somebody pure, it didn't, they, weren't, they didn't come out of the womb that way. Generally, they worked on it and they struggled with it. And so when people say, well, who is this course, course for? And I say, do you have a material body? It, if you do, it's for you because... <laughs> You have sexual desire, sexual psychology, you struggle with it. So this was the biggest struggle, at least for me, this and ego, but they go together in one package, basically. You have one, you have the other, right? <laughs> so I always felt like this is the biggest one. This is the one that most men struggle. I can't speak for women. I'm sure women struggle with it, maybe in a different way. And so for me, it was like, I felt like this is like, of all courses, this is my my duty because this is the most difficult one. I really have to, I wanna come out and be straight about it, but it's not always easy to be straight, not in a Bhagavatam class. Otherwise you get the, someone will come with the cane and like, you can't talk about that. But in a more private setting, like with this course, where it's it's a group of men confidential, we can talk about it. And we need to talk about it. And everybody knows we need to talk about it. But Bhagavatam class is not the like setting to talk about these kinds of things. <laughs> Although it's it's there in the Bhagavatam, but not in maybe the way we should talk about it. So it was just like I wanted to share, you know, what I've learned, what I've understood, and give strategies and ideas and just help men because I wish I had somebody helping me. And let me tell before you ask the next question, let me tell you a funny story. So back in the day, the day means for me, the 70s, when we were bona fide eccentric, eccentrics and fanatics, you know, 108% fanatics, you know, all of us, even the most grounded, sober devotees were fanatics. And at least I didn't meet anybody who wasn't basically. So, I mean, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, it was, it was like that. So the standard brahmachari class. We're having a brahmachari class, you know? So what is a standard brahmachari class? Basically, get a picture of a woman and throw darts at her. Well, not literally, but just, you know, demean women and demean grihasta life, right? Sex is dirty. Sex is bad. Sex is entangling, you know, just blah, 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 blah. So it's such a funny story. After one of these brahmachari classes, the sannyasi said, how did you like the class? He said, Maharaj, you were talking so much about sex. I'm totally agitated right now. <laughs> Attraction, repulsion. So like, you know, what? A, how do 20-year-old men deal with sex through repulsion, you know, which is the opposite side of attraction? So it doesn't work. And, and part of the, I think, part of the problem, especially for new devotees who, when they join, think they're going to be self-realized in three months, two days, and three hours, isn't it? that Absolutely. they can't they they can't deal with their problems because they're not supposed to have them so they kind mm. of suppress them isn't it because you know mm. everyone in the temple is a pure devotee and i will be a pure devotee also in three months 
two mm. days and one hour. Yeah. And mm. so it's like, so when you're not a pure devotee, a lot of times you pretend you are because it doesn't make sense to your head that you would have these desires. You're not supposed to have these desires. Actually, I don't have them. It just seems like I have them. You know, some crazy thing. Like, I don't know, Jai Jagannath, you ever went through that? As a, I, I mean, all, all the time, every day, of <laughs> course, we went through that. For me, the way I experienced it is that you were expected to have the problem, but somehow you weren't allowed to have the problem. So if you were like, for example, if you were like reading, let's say Krishna Leela, especially Krishna's pastimes with the gopis, for example, then it's like, you're not, you're not over the hump of material lust, et cetera. So you're not allowed to read that. Mm -hmm. Therefore it's known that you have the problem. And then if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, like you actually show that you have the problem, then it's like you're persecuted almost. And it's just like, you would got caught in this like awkward space, like, okay, it's known that I have the problem, but I'm not really allowed to have the problem. And if I actually <laughs> do something that shows that I have the problem, then I can be alienated or severely judged or ousted out of the community or whatever. That's kind of was my experience. You want to help me write a book? The title will be called Welcome to the Hare Krishna Movement. <laughs> Subtitle, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So and now I guess so you, you just underscored what I said. And that was my my impetus to, to kind of take, you know, I think what what a lot of leading devotees are doing now or getting ready to do is taking the inner world and just bringing it out and going, this is the inner world, everybody. This is your inner world. You, this is your psychology. These are your challenges. You've had traumas in the past. This is your conditioning. And everyone's going, yeah, yeah, but nobody's no one talked about it yet. So once you bring it out and talk about it, then you can heal. And then you keep it in secret, you can heal. You're only as sick as your secret, as they say in the recovery. So that was my impetus. But really, really, really like com compassion was the big thing because you know now I'm older, so it's like it's so much easier when you're older. But when you're younger, okay, let me tell you my story, right? Just just so all of you realize if you think I'm Mahatma, well, you know, it didn't come easy. All right, so <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> no, actually, when I became a devotee and I became celibate, I was like, this is, this is the life. This is what I always wanted to do. You know, I, I don't want to. You know, the world needs to be saved. I don't want to just, you know, me and one girl and our pleasure. You know, I want to I want to give to the world. So, but, you know, being conditioned, how do you do that? You know, living in a very sex-crazed late 60s culture. Like, yeah, good luck on that. So, um, you know, when I learned to... So, so I, I first heard the devotees speak as a student. I went to their class. And then... Um, I was leaving the class and there was, we were, I was on, in the elevator with a devotee and someone said, well, what do you follow? And he said, no meat eating, no, no gambling, no intoxication. So I was like, no meeting, I can do that. No gambling, I don't gamble. No intoxication, hmm, I could probably do that. And then no illicit sex, I could never do that. That's just went through, went through my mind. And I can remember the picture because it was intense, right? So what happened after that? The devotees were teaching Gita. So two nights a week I was going. And then one day I would go 
Sunday feast and occasionally go to the temple. And almost every day they were on campus and I was doing Harinam Sankirtan way more then than I do now, which is interesting. And I also lived closer to the temple then than I do now, which is interesting. And anyway, Krishna was grabbing me. So six weeks later, I woke up and I said to myself, I said, do you know you're celibate? And I go, no, I didn't know that. And I go, yeah, you are. You haven't taken drugs. You haven't, you know, it's like, I go, you're right. So, you know, there's the spiritual process. And then maybe four or five weeks later, I moved in the temple and I'm living, you know, with 10 men, you know, up for Mongol Arctic all day, every day, seven days a week out on the street chanting. Being celibate was kind of like, yeah, I can do this, you know, like what else are you going to do, you know? How could you not do it in, in that environment, right? So that was then. And, you know, you get some mercy the first year or three months or two years. I don't know. <laughs> different, right? And then, um, and then, you know, after that mercy period, there were some struggles, especially on book distribution, especially we're alone, you know, door to door, watch out. Um, all day in the parking lots, that's what we did. And parking lots were 98% women, right? If the weather's warm in America, women don't wear much, you know, etc. We all know that, right? So young men. So I'm doing a concert and then one, I, I spoke to these two girls and I gave them books and, you know, that was good. But somehow or other, there was this chemistry with one girl. You know, I didn't talk. She just left. And I couldn't stop thinking about her for three weeks. I was like, oh, my Govinda. Like, what happened? So Cupid shot me. Um, you know, I couldn't find her. I couldn't do anything, fortunately. But it just shows. <laughs> now, why is that so amazing? Because they wanted me to take sannyas, which means they saw me as a renunciate. And I, I was pretty renounced, you know. I knew Shastra, you know, as well as practically everybody. And I was there every day for a morning program. And one fine day on Sankirtan, one little year. <laughs> like you're all melted apart. So um, in reflecting on this, then you go to Shastra. And there's so many examples of people way more advanced than I was who had a meltdown. Of course, those women were probably a little more beautiful than that girl. But... Prabhupada said something really interesting. He's, <laughs> I was once walking with Giri Rashwami, and uh, this was in Mauritius. We were walking, you know, chanting our rounds. And there was a woman who was very, very short and very plump, you know, like, like very wide but very short. And so physically, sexually not attractive. And I said, Maharaj, you know, if every woman in the world looked like her, it would be a lot easier to be Krishna conscious. You know, it was half serious, half joking. And he said, no. He said, Prabhupada said, when you're lusty, any body will do. Mm. So, so um, I'm writing an article on this. A lot of what I'm saying is in the article. And so the first point I want to make, which I think is extremely important, when we say I'm attracted to the opposite sex, it's all about appetite. How big is your appetite? Because nothing is attractive if you don't have an appetite. Like, think of your favorite food. What is it? You know, whether it's pizza or pakoras or kofta or whatever. 
And if you're full up to your neck and you see that favorite food, probably make you sick to look at it, right? At least you won't want it. So I think this is, I think all, I think we all need to understand that attraction for the opposite sex doesn't exist independent of the appetite for it. It's not, you know, nothing's attractive without an appetite, right? You know the saying, sauce is the, appetite is the best sauce, mm. the best chutney, you know? the best spice, yeah. So I think this is super important because Prabhupada's always saying you can transcend this through Krishna consciousness because you lose the appetite. How do you lose the appetite? You're full, you're not hungry, why? Well, you just went to this ecstatic kirtan, you had amazing prasadam, you have good association, you heard a class and totally spun your head around and you know all 10 directions and you're smiling from ear to ear. Of course, that's not gonna be a trend, right? So that was Prabhupada's angle. And I think it's just important for us to know that excessive attraction is due to excessive appetite. And there may be other factors that could satisfy that appetite, material factors, other than just, I want the physical connection, because that's that's dangerous, because physical connection is just one aspect of the relationship. And if that's your narrow-minded focus, it becomes a huge problem. Okay, I will stop there, because Jai Jagannath is ready to... Oh, I'm just, I'm kind of just, and this is like me in confirmation with what you're saying. <laughs> and But I do have a few things. I'm sure Karuna does too. I think what I want to say is, I have a, I have so much to say, but I think when I, the essence of what I want to say is the appetite is not uniformed for the members of the society and the society of Christian consciousness or otherwise. And yet the standard that is expected to be upheld is a uniform standard without consideration of individual appetite. And so that's for me seems to be the biggest issue. And I'm going to, I'm going to frame it in, in another, I'm going to frame it in a way that's going to come off a little controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial, but it is something that's kind of in my heart that a lot of times, like at least in our ISKCON Sangha, I'm not always confident that the gurus feel that they have the permission to be the guru and give instructions according to the individual that they're dealing with and sort of like custom make the, you know, so that, yeah, a custom made system or uh, approach to their spiritual life. It's like, in our sangha at least, there's like, well, here's the standard that's expected to be followed uniformly for all the members. Individual appetite and context is inconsequential. If you're not able to meet the uniform standard, then you of course can't be initiated. And that might just be, that might even be a good thing, honestly. But um, if you can't meet this standard, then this uniform standard, which is a Brahminical standard, which is something else I wanna ask about, then you're not able to participate and that can translate, and I think does translate often as just a total discouragement and moving forward, particularly if you're an initiated devotee and you discovered that your appetite is a little bit bigger than the average appetite of the people that you know, at least. And you take that to your guru, for example, let's say in an ISKCON Sangha, and your guru just like, you know, points you to the, this is the standard, and you're just like, but my appetite, Gumaraj, I'm a little bit hungry. Like I could use a little bit more. And it's like, 
that's not on the table because of this uniform sexual purity standard that is expected to be upheld by all the members. So it just seems a little like I'm trying to, I can't find the inspiration. And also not only can I not find the inspiration, I struggle to find the authenticity and people being asked to step forward to make vows that they're not going to keep. And like they even know that they're not going to keep them because I know of certain instances where they've gone to their gurus and flat out told the guru, like, I can't follow this fourth one particularly. I can't do it right now. And the guru is like, it's okay. No problem. As long as you're trying to make progress, which I can appreciate that. It's like a, a little inside thing going on with the guru and the disciple. But then it's time for the performative initiation ceremony. And you come before everyone, the deities, the fire, the Vaishnavas, and you say your script and you're making vows that you've already just previously made, which are told them, I'm not going to follow this. Like, it seems a little fake. I mean, it seems a little fake to me. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so how do, what's your response to this sort of thing? Well, you reminded me of something really important, which I didn't say in the beginning, which I should have. There was a story, a devotee I knew was going to an acupuncturist and he was a practicing Buddhist. And so we asked the devotee about his lifestyle. What do you eat and what's your sexual um, life like and so forth. And he said, I am celibate. And and without a, without a beat, the acupuncturist said, who is your mentor? And he said, I don't have one. And the acupuncturist was like, how could you be celibate if you don't have a mentor? Like he couldn't believe. So this ties into what you're saying. And it you reminded me of why I did this class. It's like, mm. okay, Gurmarsh, my appetite is bigger than average. I say, like, okay, I want to give you a fighting chance. So here's this course. I want to help you because there are strategies that can help. So that's part of my answer to your question. Um, you have a big appetite. I want to. I want to do things to help you fulfill that appetite without without it being a problem. You know, there there are ways to do it, and so I think that is to me. It it's it's a fault of our movement, and I understand why because we all live in the temple. So you don't really need that when you're living in the temple, or it seems like you don't because you have it all. But like if you take my course, you'll see, oh, I really dug up things and strategies and attitudes and expanded on things that Prabhupada said. So it resonates more and it makes more sense. So that's part of the answer. You, in a sense, you answered part of the question because in closed rooms, that <coughs> standard gets adjusted all the time. It just really, does. it just does. <laughs> and some gurus do not personally adjust it they tell their disciples to talk to Grihasta couple who will help them adjust. And as you said, the adjustment is to help them follow. That's the, that's the re but number one, so you don't kill yourself. Number two, so you don't become a, a depressed because of guilt and shame. But ultimately, and I'm serious about these things because we've seen it, you know, I mean, suicide less, but it happens or people you know have suicidal thoughts because they can't follow their guru so you know bhakti is a bhakti creates bhakti shame doesn't create bhakti i've never seen anywhere in shastra it said well you should go into shame because it creates bhakti but bhakti creates bhakti you know of course there's some 
some guilt can help. But um, so, so often the guru will make an adjustment because the goal is that you will get there without divine torture, so to speak. There is, you know, there's something really interesting that plays into this that has, we have to keep this idea along with whatever we discuss. Okay. And you know this, Prabhupada stressed, he stressed sexual control a lot, and he had a lot of faith that we could do it, more faith than we have. He had a lot of faith in the process. So I think in answering your question, we have to balance that reality, the Guru Maharaj, I, I, my appetite's too big, with the reality that you can you can deal with this. Maybe not today. Maybe today you have to eat more. Well, you don't have to eat more the rest of your life. And there's a way to eat more so you won't have to eat more. And I think that's the real challenge and skill. And your question, it brings up a broader issue about being human and still accepting myself as a human at the same time being a quote-unquote good devotee, being sincere. I know I'm sincere. I know I'm a good person, but I have a big appetite, and I wish I didn't, right? Isn't it? Like, that's like all over. Don't you wish you didn't have such a big appetite? Wouldn't life be a lot easier? Of course, you know? I mean, if you were came out of the womb as a sannyasi with no attraction, well, that would have solved a lot of problems. It's a lot cheaper also, right? More energy into your bhakti. But that's that's not the reality. So, you know, I I read I read something Prabhupada said. He, you know, Prabhupada once said, you can't have any desire and go back to Godhead. I read just the opposite, kind of like, just do your best, Krishna will take, you know, he'll, he'll take you back to Godhead. So Prabhupada knows what we're going through. And I think the sincerity and the effort is, it's what's most important. And I also want to say there are gurus, if you say I have a big appetite, they'll just go too bad, you know? And if you have a big appetite and you're not, and well, you're not initiated, you should make sure that might not be the guru that you want. It may be the guru that you want because he just smashes you and you go, that's what I needed. I needed, right. I needed the Maya knocked out of me. Right. But it doesn't always work that way for everybody. Or you may require a six-year guru who can do some operation on you. So get to the same end result. So I was just listening to this course by Brajabihari on conflict. And he was asking like trick questions. And, you know, how do you resolve conflict? And he showed up, he showed all these bad ways to resolve conflict, right? And at the end, he said, actually, they're not always bad. Sometimes they're good. And I'm like, big argument, you know, sometimes it's good. Putting your fist down, it's my way or the highway. So sometimes it's good because nobody knows what to do. So, and then he, he, he gave the little mantra, which we can apply here. He said, he said, conflict isn't bad. You have to learn how to manage conflict. So it's like, is sex desire bad? Do you even have a choice? Like, do you have a choice not to have sex desire? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, if you stop eating, then you won't have it. Right? Just don't eat for like three days. That's the solution. The conclusion of this class is just stop eating. And then the right? You know, the fast day by the evening, you're like, your senses are like dead, you know, like five, six o'clock and Jamashtami, you're like, yeah, you know, I feel like a yogi. So, um,
I forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? I was about to finish it. I guess it wasn't that important. Gurudev, I, I have a I have a really uh, pressing question. I have many pressing questions, but I'll start with this one, um, which is that what is the point of saying of not being allowed to say certain things in public? But yet everyone is having those discussions behind closed doors. And even as like a kind of a uniform phenomenon, you know, the, the, the overt external rigid standards are consistently being adapted behind closed doors. So yeah. then kind of like that leaves me with a question like, what is the point of not being able to talk about it publicly if that's what's going on for absolutely everyone? Like, what is the point of being politically correct no. when it's not the reality? It's, it's like fundamentally inauthentic. I feel like basically what's going on now is that we have a pressure cooker and there's like a whole bunch of people that are like frantically trying to keep the... Right, push right, the lid right, down right. and keep the bread and then so like Gurudev like what's going to happen when your generation of devotees and I'm not saying that they're the ones that are like suppressing everyone necessarily but like when your generation leaves and the younger generation takes over these conversations are going to be had they're being they're yeah, being had yeah, already yeah. It's like yeah, we're yeah. having the conversations so like why why would we <laughs> just not say it as it is for goodness sake it just seems so ridiculous I can it's hard for me to answer because I don't fall in that category but I um, <laughs> I just titled I, I give class three days a week and I said we should title the class get sat get real because I I um, love to talk about what everybody wants to talk about what's real and as you said, not everybody does that because the tradition and the culture which Prabhupada established was not entirely the way you say, but it was formally that way. In other words, when we talk, when we read Bhagavatam, we're always reading about the highest standard, although we do read about people who failed. But it's mostly about the highest. I think there's more victories than failures in Bhagavatam. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but we do have, you know, Judd Bharat, we have Dravasa Muni, you know, getting angry, you know, Vishramrita, you know. Ninth Kanto's got a lot of wild stuff, just yeah. putting it out there. So, but the general, but if you look at the purports in there, generally Prabhupada is pointing to ideal examples, right? Rather than, well, if you can't do this, do this. And if you can't do that, do that. And just be sincere and, you know, you'll make it in some lifetime. So I think... The best answer I could give to your question, and, and I talk about this a lot, when we see these high examples, I'm always aware that people are thinking, well, I can't do that, so how do I relate to this? <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know, take Prozac, you know, that, that could, you know, some psychotropic drugs might help you because you know you're never going to get there and, and you'll be able to cope with life. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it sometimes feels like that. So, in answer to your question, I would say that if we understand the, the culture of, of how Prabhupada presented things, like 
here's the highest standard. Now you figure out where do you fit on the continuum and how what you have to do from here to get here. But I think the point you're making, it sounds like you're supposed to be here. Well, Full you've been stop. In the temple three days. You're supposed to be here. And if you're not, you should like you know, go in front of the mirror and, you know, talk to yourself and tell you, tell yourself you're like a failure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of, of what, what, what you said is inadvertent. The speakers don't mean to make people feel that way. It's just how people feel because they're pushing, like, this is the standard. This is what Prabhupada wants. This is what we have to come to. But if there was, there was an understanding given to everyone when they join that when you hear these things, it means, yes, that's the standard. But you have to figure out today, what can you do one thing from where you're at to be a little closer to that standard? You're light years away. Can you be one less light year away out of the millions of light, year, light years away you are? Um, can you get inspired? Because the problem is, if, if you think like, I can't do this, and you feel guilty, then the story doesn't inspire you. It actually discourages you, which is mm -hmm. like, that's a great loss. You know, Ambarish Maharaj, right? Durvasa tries to kill him, right? And um, he comes back a year later, and Durvasa is waiting for him with breakfast. You know, he's waiting a year to give him breakfast. He came a little late. Right. And Durvasa says, you know, well, I probably shouldn't have tried to kill you. Would you forgive me? You didn't do anything wrong. Let's have breakfast. And, you know, and you see one devotee and he doesn't smile and you're ready to like, you know, chop his neck off, right? So like, how do you relate to that? Well, you're supposed to relate to the fact that this devotee didn't smile and I got upset and look at Ambarish Maharaj. Durvasa tried to kill him and he was okay with it. Can I get inspired by that? To not be like that, but to be not so upset with someone who doesn't smile or doesn't I, ask how you're doing. I mean, can't you see? Look at my face. Can't you see? I was depressed. You didn't ask how I'm doing. Like, how could you, you know? So that's what, so. For me, more than the, the standard, at least the way I heard Karuna Avatar's question, is less to do with the standard, but the culture of saying, I'm going to conform to a standard that I'm not. And it was mm -hmm. already decided behind closed doors that I'm not going to follow that exact standard, which I'm performatively saying I'm going to do in front of the mm. fire and the deities and the Vaishnavas. Yeah. And so that seems like a self-defeating culture at the start. It, uh, now, I, wh from what, you're, what I'm hearing, I get like Srila Prabhupada, like this is a standard or like an institutional standard. We have to uphold that. So that part is clear in my head. I'm just putting on the table, it seems self-defeating if you're going to make a decision with your guru behind closed doors, but in mm. public say something completely opposite of that decision. How is it, you know, this this famous <laughs> verse from the well, Devatas, Satyavrata, Satyapanam Tri Satyam, Satyasuyonim, Nihitam you know, the verse, they're glorifying Krishna as truth in so many ways. And in Prabhupada's translation of the verse, he says, you know, you are Satyavrata, one who's always true to his vow, and therefore you will not be attained by those who are hypocrites. Yeah. And so the culture seems, if we're going to have a culture like that, it seems hypocritical. It seems self-defeating at the very start. And yeah. is that a culture yeah. that we're going to want to continue generation after generation where 
the in the front is this like fake thing, but behind closed doors is something else. I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. Because if if it's gonna be that way, then we might as well call it the International Society for Inauthenticity. You know. <laughs> but let me let me give some comments because I have sure. I have talked about this with many gurus to ask them, what do you think and how do you feel? And we have a guy brother who's outside of uh, Iskon. And he just asks his disciples to vow what they can actually do. So, like, how many rounds can you do? How many that makes sense to me. But okay, yeah. And then I have another God brother who initiates outside of Iskon, and he just asks them to be good human beings. That's the vow they take. Interesting. So, um, different orders and like that. We, it's I, I see the question you're asking on two levels, but I, I'll address the first level because. It's a difficult question for one person in Iskon to give like a an answer that would satisfy. Sure, we're we're asking for your answer, and then we yeah. can ask everyone else for their answer. <laughs> and I just I I just want to say that I feel really sorry for Mahatma Prabhu because he's got a whole bunch of people waiting with axes to chop his head off if he says something which is just like slightly controversial yeah. or yeah. like yeah. you know yeah. out there. So so we I feel for Mahatma Prabhu. I wish he could just say what he would say to everyone behind closed doors. Um, the Honest Man's I'll, podcast. I'll, 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 uh, <laughs> Of course, of course, you know, the world is subjective, so I give my subjective view. Right, and that's what my, we're asking for. My feeling, understanding human nature and human psychology, uh, what Prabhupada did was he gave us the highest standard because if he compromised too much, uh, give an inch, you take a mile. We would we would have run with it. Well, you know, <laughs> sure. sex is okay in marriage, just, you know, just, you know, not so much. Like, oh, my God, you know. Um that would open Pandora's box for a lot of people. Sure. So my my feeling was that Prabhupada didn't say a lot of things that he would have said if you pressed him, but he didn't want to say publicly because it would have created pro more problems than it would have solved. Whereas if you tell an individual who can understand this, okay, understand it. You know, I can't can't I can't follow the fifty round thing, or my wife can't follow it, and it's creating a real problem in our marriage. Can we do it sometimes? And so the girl will say, well, if that's that's that, you know, it's not the standard we want to come to. But if you need to do that to come to standard, that's what he'll say. Or the girl will tell them, go to my Grihasta couple and talk to them, whatever they say, um, do it. And then he doesn't have to say it. So he, you know, it's he keeps clean. Now, there's an institutional problem. There was a discussion. It, it came up on the GBC, and I think it's come up more than once, that to redefine illicit sex as something more than 50 rounds. <laughs> Less than 50 <laughs> rounds. Less than 50. I always joke, you know, it's like 50 rounds. Why would you want to have sex after 50? You just want to chant another 10. You know, it's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like funny. Like after that, you want to have sex. Uh, anyway, so, um, it's like so it, it came up, you know, there was a discussion and it, and it came up and I wasn't privy to the discussion, but I heard, I heard about it. And I think one GBC was saying like, look at like what you're saying, look at three hostas, they're not all following. So could we define no illicit sex, just like sex and marriage? And they said, no, Prabhupada said 50 rounds. That's what it is. So institutionally, if you're a leader and, and you're authorized, maybe authorized is not the right word, but you're 
not, <laughs> they don't, GBC doesn't want to say you're authorized. You're not unauthorized. That's that's basically what it is. You, you've been allowed to initiate. We haven't unauthorized you yet. You you have to represent the institution which gave you the, you know, ability to do it. And if that's what they say, how can you publicly say, oh, I don't really think the GBC is right. I don't agree with it. Now, personally, individually, within your sangha, within your disciples, within your preaching, you have to answer this question that you're both bringing up. We're making a vow to do something we're not going to do. So with International Society for Inauthentic Krishna Consciousness, International Society for Lack of Integrity. And, you know, then someone could argue, well, really, is it a lack of integrity? Isn't it, isn't, aren't we saying, Guru Maharaj, this is what I'm going to strive for? And I think that's kind of what it comes down to, like, Okay, I'm striving to be like Ambarish Maharaj, and you know, maybe I'll get there. That's my goal. It's a beautiful goal. I I I wanna be like that, but this devotee right now is driving me crazy, and I've got a lot of resentment for him, and I can't let it go right now. So I'm gonna have to deal with it. Those are those are how I see the realities. And I think I think most gurus understand this, they understand the struggles, they don't want to put their disciples in anxiety. They don't want their disciples to be full of guilt and shame. They want their disciples to to be mature, intelligent human be pe beings, and they want to give their disciples, you know, some guidance and say, "You decide the best way to do this. You you know what the vow is. You know this is what you're supposed to do. Eventually, this is how you're going to get back to Godhead. And you, as mature disciples, you decide what's best." I want, I want to tell you something really funny, just as icing on the cake of this answer. There's a devotee who was born in the family of astrologers, and we would talk about Grihastha life sometime because her view is so much different than any astrologer I ever heard. And she, you know, I think we were talking about romance, and she said something really funny, but it's so true because it described me, because I'm not romantic. But I found out after talking to her, I am very romantic, but in a Brahminical way. So she said, if the husband and wife are Brahminical, their romance is to sit down with one another and read Bhagavatam. Their honeymoon is to go to Vrindavan. Their recreation is to chant Japa together. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's their satbagun, their Brahminical, to do deity worship together. So the romance, as we understand it, they're not really inclined. So they're yeah. in obviously a smaller percentage than your average devotee, but they don't see one another as sexual partners. It's just not, they're not framed that way. They're very, mm -hmm. so they exist. Not everybody is like that, but the people who are not like that, but they know they need to come that way when they're 45, 50, 55, 60, they just like, you just become that way naturally. You <laughs> I mean, Hopefully. look at even non-devotees when they're that age. They're like, you know, you go to your I don't know. What do you want? You want this? Why don't you take this chair? Take. I don't need it anymore. This, you know. Well, that's what we hope. That's what we hope for. But it'll like, it'll happen. No, I'll tell you another story. Give you encouragement. When my father, my mother died in 1976. That means my father was only 72, and he had women proposing to him all the time. 
And he lived another 20 years and he never had another woman because, you know, it was like, that's his culture. That's his samskar. He's an old man. Doesn't make sense. Why should I do it? You know, relate, you know, his wife, my mother was his love. And then when he was about 90, about two years before he died, he, he'd go, I'd take him to the doctor and the doctor would say, wow, so how are you doing? He said, and he would say, can you kill me? And he was serious. I mean, at least 75%. Doctor said, no, no, no. And then my father said, I can hardly hear. I can't walk. I can hardly see. What's the point of living? And I'm looking at him and he became an atheist. And I was like, wow, he's pretty detached. Life makes you detached. So last 20, of his, 20 years, he lived like a sadhu, celibate, totally detached. <laughs> Third yeah. for you, Karuna Avatar. Just getting old is, is glorious. Thanks, Guru Maharaj. I appreciate that. <laughs> Okay, okay, Jai, Jai. Uh, I think this is a good time for the Brahminical standard question. Yes, and, I. Yes, you want to ask it? No, no, no. I, like, okay, I just want to say, um, Mahatma Prabhu mentioned something a little bit earlier about like Prabhupada basically like setting the standard like here because he knew that everyone was actually here so if he said set the standard here then everyone would drop down like way below the whatever you know so he said this it gave us a brahminical standard because he knew that we're all a bunch of like yavana malecha daitya whatevers you know and if he tries and like we're we're <laughs> shila Prabhupada came and transplanted bhakti culture into an asuric society so how can you give a bunch of asuras like a substandard like or like a subramanical standard and expect that you know so i think that's kind of my end to the question that's my understanding of maybe why Prabhupada gave the brahminical standard for everyone to follow but just like it's just becoming so clearly apparent i am not a brahmana it's becoming so clearly apparent that like you know uh, there are a lot of people that just don't have this nature that don't have this brahminical nature I mean, I hardly know. Yeah, anyway. So just, Jai, do you want to add on to that? Yeah, like, I wanted to add, you know, there's this verse in Gita. so many things in my mind. I'm going to try to keep it concise. We have this verse in Gita, chapter 18. But by following your Swadharma as a Brahmin, Chatra, Vaishya, Shudra, and dedicating your work to God, then you can also attain liberation. Very popular verse, Sway Sway, Karman, Karmani Abhirata. Anyway, Prabhupada was fond of quoting this verse. So, okay, I can be situated where I'm at as Brahmin, Chachri, Vaishya, Shudra, or outcast, because that's a category too. But by dedicating oneself to God, from whatever position you're in in the social ladder, you can attain God, you know, by bhakti. That's kind of our philosophy. But then when it comes to this particular topic, there's like an imposition of the standard of one social class on all the members of the entire society that doesn't seem, that doesn't follow. It, now, the standard of the Brahminical class should govern the whole society. That's how I understand what Prabhupada wanted. He wanted a Brahminical society and that should be the standard culture that governs the entire culture overall. And yet there will be members, a part of that entire culture that are lower on that social scale by nature. And maybe they don't even have any beef with that. Like they don't have any problem with their nature. They don't have any problem being lower on the social. Like personally, 
I never have a problem with being an outcast. Like when I came to terms with like, I'm like, yeah, that Mletcha, Yavna, that sounds like me. That they, they, <laughs> they didn't register my psyche as particularly problematic because I was like, well, by chanting Hare Krishna, I can become a Krishna conscious devotee. I'm like, my aspiration isn't to become a Brahmana, isn't to meet a Brahminical standard. It's just to become a devotee. And then as a result of my experience of Christian Bhakti Rasa, other things would be forgotten and left and so on. So it just doesn't follow to me, like philosophically even, and what to speak of practically, that the standard of the, 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 the leading culture, the Brahminical culture, should be expected or imposed upon all its members who clearly don't have that sort of nature. And then you gotta like walk around feeling like castrated and guilty and shameful because you're not <laughs> able to meet the, the Brahminical standard and you gotta like do everything quiet so no one knows. It just, I don't know. It doesn't seem to follow philosophically and it doesn't seem to work also practically. You know, when you were talking, I was thinking like, you know, like 300 years from now, people be looking at this discussion and going, I can't believe these guys didn't understand this. This is so like, duh, you know, <laughs> maybe, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> like, you know, coming. a couple hundred years ago, like, of course, everyone's not a Brahmin. Like, were, were they actually trying to make everyone Brahmins? I can't believe they were trying. Were they actually trying to do that? But, uh, so, but, but, uh, groomers, can I just say that, like, you know, it's not really us. It's like, that's what Prabhupada said. So we're just being like, okay, but, you know, it's not like we're being like, okay, it doesn't make sense, but that's what Prabhupada said. So well, that was how he started. That's how sure. he started. It's like, okay, you know, Mahaprabhu, see Mahaprabhu's movement, give the holy name to anybody. You don't have to be a Brahmin. And then by right. chanting, you'll be elevated. Right. So, mm -hmm. but, but I think, I think the problem is we need guidance. And so if we no. just read Prabhupada's books without guidance, then you misunderstand. Because Prabhupada said things like, you know, if you're not a Brahmin, then, you know, you're not a Brahmin. You know, don't take second initiation if you can't follow, no problem. He said, don't take first initiation if you can't follow, you know, but if, you, if you're going to take it, follow it. But if you're not going to follow, no problem. So it was kind of like, then you get in. Then you get in the temple, and they go, "Okay, Kronye, how long have you been a devotee?" You go, two years. Well, why aren't you initiated? What's wrong with you? You know mm. that kind of that kind of mm. question. And Kronye is going, "Well, you know, sometimes I don't always follow so strictly, but I can't tell anybody, you know." And he's turning all red, and he goes, "Okay, I'll take initiation because by saying no, he's admitting mm. he would be admitting mm. that he's not following." You know? Mm. Um, or he doesn't have faith, or he hasn't found a group. What's wrong with you? Why don't you have a guru? You know, you've been a devotee mm, for six mm, months. Mm. You know, like, don't you have any faith? Don't you trust anybody? Do you have relationship problems, Kone? You know, like, like mm. we got to talk about you. You know, like, so um, that then how do you establish Varnashram in a situation like that? Like Jai Jagannath saying, you're trying to make everyone a Brahmin. So, but. I, I think Prabhupada's point of view was, well, Mahaprabhu wasn't really trying to do that. He was just giving everyone the holy name. You don't have to be a Brahmin. You can chant it. And let's see where that goes. Let's see where that takes you. And maybe you will find out you are a Brahmin, you know, and you like it. And you like, and you will get second initiation. You're like, yeah, I, you know, I follow four principles. That's a piece of cake. I love it. You know, I love to get up at two o'clock. I love to read Prabhupada's books for two hours and do deity worship for two hours and give classes for two hours. And I was like, you know, 
And someone else is like, I could never do that. I got to work at my job like 10 hours a day, you know, just passion. I love to make money. Well, how much money you have? Well, like I have about 16 million. Why don't you retire? Oh, I just get bored. I'm make I'm gonna make more money. Right? We see that, right? But Jai Jagannath, there's a distinction here we have to make between being a Brahmin and Brahminical culture. Because you could be a shudra by right. nature occupation, but ISKCON is cultivating a sattvic culture because obviously right. we want to get into sattvagun we don't want to give in so i i like using the word sattvagun i think it makes it more clear where we're going culturally we want to be lifestyle we want to be sattvic but whether occupationally that means you're a brahmin maybe not necessarily you could be very right. sattvic like you're very clean you're very peaceful you're very intellectual but in terms of like you know you just don't like to get up at 4 a.m and do puja you know, or you don't like to learn like uh, lots and lots of shlokas and, you know, but you're intellectual. You like to go to university, study philosophy, religion, you know, mm, mm. but you stay up till one o'clock, you know, reading all these academic books. Okay. You're a Brahmin, but this, this sattvic part, you know, it's kind of like, it's not fully developed yet. So I think that's important. What, what the problem you, the problems, you know what the problem is? There's a bigger problem than what you brought up. The problem is that this problem is so obvious and it still exists. That's the problem. Like, like we as a society are like, okay, we have so many problems, which even a new devotee can say, wait a minute, like I don't know, I feel like a Brahmin, but like if I go on the if I go on the conveyor belt, he'll I'm gonna have to get initiated in six months. And I'm not ready for that. And and I'm supposed to do this, and I'm a woman, and I'm supposed to be married, but I really don't want to be. So, like, is there a place for me if I don't do all that? No. You know? So I think it's obvious there has to be a place for everybody, a house in which the whole world's going to live. So to me, the, big, the bigger problem is, like, isn't this obvious and nothing's been done about it? That's kind of scary, isn't it? We have, yeah. We have an organization that's so constipated that we can't just go, like, Wait a minute! People are making vows and they're not following them. Do you want to rethink this? You, um, <laughs> like, like, why is this going on? It's been going on fifty years, and you know, and um, how many devotees have left ISKCON after they've been in the movement for five or ten years because of this? Yeah. Why are we doing anything yeah. about it? Yeah. You know, I have to tell you something that will help. Will help with this. I mean, that point I just made, I think, is extremely important. It's more of a managerial issue, but it's it's something we can all think about. Like, if you're seeing things. Bring it up. Talk about it. Talk to managers and say, you got to do something about this. Demand it. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Bhano Swami, he, he, gave, he gives talks on Diksha and Guru and like that. And he says things nobody's saying. Um, have you heard any of those talks? No, because, not those particular ones. Because no. like Kron Avatar, it's the verses which say, you know, if you're not initiated, then it's kind of like, forget it. You know, mm -hmm. you might as well not try those kinds of verses. Like, I have to get initiated, you know. So I have people want to become initiated. And I'm like, why are you ready? Because they've read all those verses. Well, if you don't get initiated, mm -hmm. you don't really have spiritual life. Like, And he said something really interesting. He said, before the time of Mahaprabhu, there was no Mahamantra. So initiated meant Brahminical initiation or Pancharitriki initiation, Vedic. That's what initiation meant. But when Mahaprabhu came, then, as Jiva Goswami said, you don't need initiation to chant Hare Krishna. What did he mean? You don't need Brahminical initiation. You don't have to be twice born. 
you could be a shudra because the other orders they're twice born right at least they get threads and they go to gurukula you can be a shudra and then he said you know this whole thing about you you become free from karma and you go mm. back to guided if you're initiated he goes but you're already free because you're chanting you're already connected mm. Or you have a six-year guru, so it's not. So he's trying to make the point: it's not as black and white as you think, and you and you need context because these verses are coming from a time when nobody could get that maha, nobody could get initiated unless they were qualified, and Mahaprabhu gives it to unqualified people. So you have you have these two dynamics. Everybody chant Hare Krishna. Let's see where it takes you, and if it doesn't take you to be a Brahmin, that's fine. Just keep chanting, and you know, and and do service. And um, I, I just spoke with one of the leaders of the congregational ministry, and I said, I asked him a question. I said, how are you going to build a, a world in which, the, a house in which the whole world can live when the mm. very structure of bhakti riksha is to pull people along to get initiated? Like, what about everybody else? Mm. And, and I said, are you discussing this? Because you should, because it seems like a big missing link. So, you can have you can have a system for people to get initiated that prepares them for the people that want to, and then the ones that don't, you have another system. Like, okay, that's fine. You know, chant one round, do service. So, I think I think your question is more practical than philosophical because I think philosophically there's no substance to it because it doesn't make any sense, especially if you have varnashram. Obviously, you know, you're you're not going to push everyone, but at the same time, Prabhupada said you'll become brahminical. By chanting Hare Krishna, so gradually, you know, some point, and, and I think maybe part of the answer is to a lot of what we're talking about is you will get there when you're 50, 60. You're going to be different when you're 50, 60. Mm. What you are at 20 or 30 is a whole different game than at For, 50 or 60. But you're 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 going to be different at 50 or 60 if you actually did what you were supposed to do when you were 20 or 30 and like yeah. dealt with those desires yes yes oh we lost them uh oh i'll finish what he's saying and yeah. be real about yourself and be <laughs> practical and be honest and not be duplicitous and have integrity and deal with it in a way that you can yeah exactly right I finished but, your sentence. We didn't hear you when I talked, so I finished the sentence. That, that's okay. I just need to. I just need to quickly. Uh, I think someone is like basically. Okay. 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 Can you hear me now? Am I clear? Am I coming through clearly? Yeah. Yeah. We okay. we we heard you saying that we have to be able to do the work honestly now. So that when yes. we're older, we're, we're and that is exactly the point. And so it ties into Jai Jagannath's point is how can you get there if we're not allowed to talk about it, if we have exactly standards? like I had a and and, and Jai Jagannath, the, the a part of the reality is every guru has a little culture with his group and they deal with it differently. And it is a fact, some gurus are quite straightforward and honest. But it's in their sangha, so you don't see it publicly because their sangha can understand those things. Mm. Yes, but he wants I, to say something. I want Corona Avatar's got something, but I want to go. I have something on this point. It'll be yes. my last thing. 
yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I, I had a kind of a realization recently um, pertaining to people's motivations to take initiation. And this is <laughs> genuinely very much informed by my own experience. I do think that it is a universal phenomenon and it, and it comes down to the following. I, I kind of articulated it as it, it doesn't seem to matter much what we belong to. What actually, what, what, ma but what really matters is that we experience a sense of belonging, that we're a part of something, you know. And so, like, a lot of people come to the Krishna Consciousness Society because they're seeking a sense of belonging. They're seeking a place to call home in a community of people that accepts them unconditionally. And so, you come and you be a part of the, you know, society. Of, this was my experience. I was reflecting like really honestly on what actually brought me into Krishna consciousness. And it was straight up the devotees, the devotees and the personal relationships that I formed with the devotees was just the most um, magical human experience that I'd ever had. Those relationships and the people and the sense of community that I felt amongst them, that was really the thing. I was definitely seeking the absolute truth, no doubt about that. I was highly interested in a sense of purpose. That desire was fulfilled, but ultimately it was really about belonging and having that sense of community. So then you kind of get to like a certain point where, where the second thing comes in, which is status. It's like, unless you're initiated, you're not really regarded as anyone significant. Like, imagine if I was Bhakta Kronje on Arise the Honest Man's podcast, people would just be like, yo, like, like who, who's that? Who's that guy? You know, like, who's that guy? He doesn't, he's not even initiated. Like, how can we take anything seriously what he says? Um, so it's like, you know, that, that plays into the thing. It's like people want to belong and they need to be initiated to have some status and regard in the society as a whole. Um, you know, so, and then that kind of, okay, that ties into something different. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I can go there. Um, but, you know, and then that comes to the point of like, how many of us genuinely authentically consistently desire to be krishna conscious like all the time like are you genuinely desiring to go to goloka vrindavan and meet krishna is that the prevailing motiv motivating factor that's driving you forward because like all of this work around sexual purity is like you know, if you're going to succeed, it basically relies on you genuinely desiring to be Krishna conscious. Like if you're feeling discouraged and demoralized in your spiritual life, like you're not really going to have the motivation and the impetus to do the thing if the desire isn't genuinely in the right place. And basically for people to succeed, you have to have a sustained desire to be Krishna conscious. And with all these like societal factors that are you know, suppressing and suffocating people like it and, and you feel discouraged, then it's like no wonder people are giving up. So that's really the thing, having that sustained desire. Um, 
You know, it, because the thing is, if people don't, and then just back to the original point, if people don't get initiation, then they're never going to have a complete sense of belonging in the society because they're like second class citizens, you know. So it's all fair and well that we give them standards, their own standards, you know. Yeah, you little untouchable peasants, you know, have your standards. But it's like you can't really be a real person without having a cool hip Sanskrit name, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm done. It's, it's partially, Jai uh, Jagannath's going to speak, but I just want to say it's partially a culture we inadvertently created and it's become our nemesis. And a lot of leaders are quite aware of it. And what it, what it, can I say something, Jai Jagannath? Are you oh, like, please, yeah. no, I'm so not. What happened was Prabhupada was the guru. And so we imitated him after he left. The, you know, let's replace Prabhupada with this figure. So every everybody needs a figure to surrender to. So they became zonal gurus. So, you know, the Diksha guru was everything with Prabhupada, and then the zonal gurus became everything. So this Diksha guru culture just kind of just remained, and then the Siksha guru culture never really took off. So, like. Mm -hmm. Kronavatar, when you were a young devotee, you could have a Siksha guru. You could have belonged to a community. That Siksha guru could have connected you to Prabhupada as, as your foundational relationship with Prabhupada. You could have felt totally belonging. The only thing you're missing is a spiritual name. And that's that's another topic, you know. We can put <laughs> a pre-initiation and give you a pet name. Like, I've done that and got chastised for it. But um, that could be talked about later. But But because everything is about the, the Diksha Guru, you, you may not realize how connected you are to Prabhupada in your relationship, how connected you are, you may be to a Siksha Guru, how safe you are, how, but, okay, so I wanted to make that point, but the other, there's another side of it about taking the vows. I see, I see the position, if you have this position where you're connected to Prabhupada, connected to Siksha Guru, it's kind of like you fell in love and now you're living with a girl, but at some point you say, I think we should get married. You know, like let's make this official, you know, because then we're actually committed. So that's where the initiation comes in. You know, how to how it should come in. You know, like I'm committed to this person. Why don't I just commit publicly? Because when you said, Oh, there's Kanye, he's not initiated. Why should we listen to him? The other side is, well, like if he's been a devotee for 10 years. Why isn't he initiated? Is he right. not following the principle? Exactly. And maybe it's like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't be on this, maybe I shouldn't be on this podcast because I'm not initiated. You know, there is there is credence to that as well. You know, sure. Like you want Brom, you want people who are committed to be leaders and exemplars like that. Well, that's what I wanted to say. So yeah, Jai Jagannath. There's a there's a couple of nice questions in the in the chat and I know you have to leave soon, so I'm gonna keep this kind of short. But I just feel like one one thing that has to be brought up, we don't have so much time to unpack it now. I feel like so much of our thinking about the subject matter and the way we're talking about it is almost too much linked to the to society as a global entity, and not sufficiently linked to a community as a real thing that holds a person and allows them to grow. So in other words, someone enters into our community and how you deal with someone who's a part of your community is very different 
then when you're looking at them and dealing with them in terms of like a global sort of standard, like your, your psyche is kind of linked to this global thing and your way of interacting and dealing is in relation to that global thing and not really just in relation to the individual within the smaller community. I'm, this is not perfectly articulated, but I want to, and I kind of wanted to bring in this angle that, you know, with this whole pandemic, if we can, you know, I'm going to call it that, with this whole pandemic and like government <laughs> um, increase of like sort of like social control where you might not be able to travel soon enough unless you're, you know, you have a Vax passport, for example. And it seems like that's going to, these sorts of stipulations are going to impact our communities a lot where we may be disconnected on a global standard. And then we're obliged to just like look at these issues as just like a community and individuals within that smaller community. So this isn't perfectly articulated, but I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I feel like thinking about it in terms of affiliation to a globalized entity is part of what makes this so problematic and discussing and dealing with people. But that's it's the natural result of bureaucracy because it's like we our society is so bureaucratic and there are these, okay, it's a global society and we shouldn't necessarily be be oppressed by that but we are being because there are these mandates that ha that are being like you know enforced locally by this global standard so it's right and, I, and i'm bringing and i'm bringing to i'm bringing i'm i'm doubting if that's going to really be able to work in the upcoming decades with the mm. social world changing so dramatically I mean, even even with just internet now, like it used to be, you had to be somebody in order to have a platform at ISKCON. Now all you need is a podcast, and if and if ISKCON <laughs> doesn't like it, too bad. They're gonna have to deal with it. They're gonna have to take it. You know, and I don't want to put this out in the you street. Speaking for yourself, <laughs> I'm not speaking for myself. I'm actually speaking of experience. There's several Hari Christian podcasts out. Well, not several. Anyway, everyone's gonna know who I'm talking about. Nam Ross had a particular podcast. He invited a guest on there for a very sensitive subject matter. And he had the GBC calling him yeah. because they were nervous about what was going to be discussed in the podcast. Yeah. And I thought it was just glorious. I was, I, I was there for it. I loved it. It was just amazing that here's someone who doesn't, he's not a guru, he's not a GBC, he's not a total president. He literally just started a podcast out of his own inspiration and heart to discuss Hare Christian things. And now it's having global influence without any blessing, so to speak, or empowerment of institutional authority. So just having the internet is already dramatically changed how we relate to each other. It's, it's becoming less institutionalized. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying looking forward as you know, governments start to increase their social control, which they're very much taking advantage of this whole pandemic issue to increase their social control. Oh, and we're forced to just like start dealing with each other as a community and yeah. not as a global entity that's what i'm putting on the table and i'm kind of wanting to hear your your thoughts or comments on this because that i feel like that changes the dynamic of how we think and discuss these issues now and in the future i think i think there's another duh moment and the duh moment is i'll, I'll explain my experience of the duh moment i once gave a japa workshop you know in the japa workshops i give I give what I think are, are practices and attitudes that can really, really help. 
And so at the end of the Japa workshop, this man comes up to me and he said, you know, what you said is good, but I don't really have much time to chant. I can't, I don't know if I can do all these things. And I said, well, what's your schedule? Thinking like, well, I'll show him how to crunch time and, you know, strategies to get up early and so on. He goes, well, sometimes we have to do calls with other countries. So I will come home. All those calls will be at 11 at night and I'll get home at midnight and I'll be hungry and I'll eat something. And I have to be in the office at seven the next morning. Like, you know, and I go, well, how often does that happen? He goes, a lot. So, so you have, you're trying, you're trying to grow mangoes in New York in the winter. You know, sometimes I feel preaching is like that. I'm preaching mm -hmm. to some kid who's been, you know, having sex since he's 11, addicted to <laughs> pornography. And saying, well, why don't you move in and be a brahmachari? You know, you'll love it. It's like mangoes in the snow you know it's like so how am i going to get this guy to be a brahmachari can you give me your phone we're going out we have an eco village we've got a little cabin you're going to live in with another brahmachari here's the program he can do it in that environment because everything's about environment mm -hmm. so when you look at the environment we're against at least i do i always ask myself can I? Can we actually do this? I spent lots of time in Mayapur. I asked lots of devotees, come to Mayapur. We had retreats in Mayapur. We had classes every day for like six weeks. Everyone in Mayapur is flying high. Everybody is just like so happy and so free and so forth. And when they go back to the West, they think you're, they're going to be that way. And reality hits after two to three weeks of those passionate <laughs> So, so the evolution of, to me, the, the, the major duh realization of the evolution of preaching Krishna consciousness is that the cities are antithetical to what we want to do. And Prabhupada did not like Absolute. the cities. Prabhupada Absolute. taught, you know, do you know that Prabhupada said, if you're a Grihasta and you're not preaching, you should not live in the city. You should, you know. So these, these are radical statements, apparently radical, but I think time will drive us out of the city. Like here in Alachua, we're in the country. There's so many devotees here. Nobody asked anybody to come and everybody keeps coming. They don't stop coming. There's two kinds of devotees, devotees in Alachua and the devotees are coming to Alachua to move here. You know? that, that's the saying. Why? Because we're out in the country. It's not so expensive here. So it's not... We haven't gone all the way. We, you know, we grow a few vegetables here. We don't have any cows. Neighbors have cows. But I, I seriously doubt how, unless we have very strong ashrams in the city, but once, that's fine. But once you get married and you have to enter the workforce, if you're not mature, it's, it's really, really hard. And like you say, social media, okay. I want to say something about social media because it's really interesting because I spent half my time in Mayapur, three quarters of my time in Mayapur for about 10 years. And I can honestly say I had no idea what was going on in the world. Like I couldn't care less who was the president and what they were doing. It, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have found out that the whole world blew up if it did 
for about 10 days because it wouldn't have made a difference in Mayapur because everything is grown locally. We get water from mm. the wells and, you know, deities are being served. We grow our own flowers mm. and like, we're okay. Mm. So I think, you know, when you get out envi in, into environments like that and you're, there's cows and you're growing food, it's like, Trump's just said this, he did this. It's like, who cares? You know, it doesn't affect me, you know. Cow's still giving milk and I'm getting, you know, I have windmills, so, you know, he can do whatever he wants. I've got my electricity and I've got my well and we've got yeah. enough food. And that's what Prabhupada would say. And grow cotton and make your clothes, you know, and like, what else? And he probably would say like, well, well, what else do you need? So I think, you know, part of the, the sexual problem is the same thing. Look what you're living in. How much time you're spending on social media. Like when, when oh, you no. take a vow, you have to shift your lifestyle so you can follow the vow, you know, and you're living in New York City and you want to be celibate. Okay, that's going to take some work, you know a lot more work than you're living in upstate New York on a 300 acre farm with 25 brahmacharis. That's going to take less work, obviously. So to me, it seems like a natural evolution, but nothing happens until you hit the ninth hour, right? Then you're like, mm. okay, I think we should get out of here because there's no food in the grocery stores in Manhattan anymore. Uh, maybe we start a farm community. I think we're a little late, Prabhu, but you know, Let's get out there, you know, let's do it. You know, that's that's probably how it's going to happen. But that's what Prabhupada wants us to do. So as a as someone who lived in Mayapur and saw this transformation of devotees coming there and how they're basically problem-free and going back and three weeks later writing me letters, oh, I'm not doing so well anymore. You know, 180 degree, it happens all the time. Thank you for that. So, you know, let's, let's start the eco-village. And when you get there, we, we do a fire jagya. And what do we offer the fire jagya? Your phone. That goes in the fire jagya. No, no more phone anymore. Oh, my God. Have, Just a thought of that. A There's a phones. thought of that makes my heart skip a beat. Even though I know it's so good. It was just like the heart was just like. <laughs> yeah, because we're addicted. Okay, right. you can have your phone. There'll be, we'll turn the internet on in a room for a half hour a day you got <laughs> and we all go together and we all do it and our phones are our phones are there we don't take them with us after so maybe a half hour in the morning half hour in the evening. but um, but guru marsh what's what's going to happen to rise the honest man's podcast it'll just become localized it'll be a half hour it'll be a half hour <laughs> we, will, we will we will create we will create, we will have a devotee create a phone that only allows you to broadcast the Honest Man's podcast. Nothing else, everything else is blocked. You can't, you know. The point is, you when you're out there, you won't care what's going on. You won't, you you know, like all these social issues and conflicts and ISKCON, you're going to be happy milking your cows and growing your rice and having these amazing kirtans with your friends. You won't care. Oh my God. You know? This is such an important topic. I, Muhammad Prabhu, I, I know you said you had a meeting at 1.30, which is like in three minutes. And I, I want to just alert you to that reality. Excuse me. Two minutes, I'll jump off. Okay. And you guys can continue if you want. But somehow or other, we, 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 got, we got sidetracked um, on this issue. <laughs> but, but let me put in a, I got to at least put in a, some, uh, put in a plug for the course. You know, yes, please. Yes. The course is, the course is um, like I said, it was it was my my 
hope to put my best foot forward for men. I'm sure women can also do it, but they would have to have separate groups, I think, to put my best foot forward to support people who want to try to be celibate, however, or sex, sexually, however you describe sexually pure, that, that, that's the point, you know, maybe, maybe that would resolve, a, however you describe sexual purity, we know how Prabhupada described it, for you now, what is the best you can do, how mm -hmm. to assist you so you can do it, how to, how to avoid triggers, the lifestyle you need to support it, the sangha, the attitudes you need to support it, so that when you engage with the opposite sex, you you deal with them with respect, with honor, you know, which which nullifies the lust and so forth. That that's the idea, you know. I'll, I'll, I'm trying to do my best to help, you know. And Thank you. That that was the idea. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Gurmash. Well, well, Without. perhaps we 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 can we can let you go. Uh, everyone, just say Hari Bol in your in your rooms for Mahatma Prabhu. Thank you so much for joining us, Gurmash. And um. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll give the technical details of the course ag again in just a sec. Yeah, yeah, keep keep up the conversation. And uh, no, the last thing I want to say, which was one of the most important things, I mean, I kind of said it. Sexual purity, as I said, connected with ego and pride. This is a is a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. It's like you're in a boxing match with Muhammad Ali. You know, you can't mess around. As soon as you take your eye off the ball, he's going to knock you out. Or maybe it's Mike Tyson now. Yeah, yeah. Probably Mike, <laughs> Mike Tyson, you know. You know, like sexual desires like Mike Tyson, you know. If, you, if you're not fighting back, you're going to get knocked out really fast, right? What so, are, yeah. Oh, Guru Dave, that's a whole can of worms. Anyway, we'll just but do my, it. Another. But my point was that this course is is – is is part of that effort to fight back and i want to make the point it's not easy for anyone yeah. you know one time uh one time they were talking about sex and and the devotee said Prabhupada, i have no sex desire Prabhupada said well you should see a doctor like you know so it's like <laughs> you know if you don't have it something's wrong with you if you don't feel some attraction something's wrong with you you know but it, it if we understand it in the context of how it's to be used in family, mm. in raising kids, in that whole broader context, which which a lot of us never got because now it's just, you know, it's just about enjoying another person and when you're sick of them, find another one. That's not the context in which you can become sexually pure. So if you if you do it with one person, you raise a family, that's how you do it. And so, you know, we didn't get to discuss that, but that's 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 the real point and we're raised to like well i like that girl i like the color of her eyes i like her body so that's about it that's all i need you know? and when when i see a more beautiful girl then i don't like her anymore and and uh every every pop song tells you that so like you know better go out to that eco village and throw your phone away because you're gonna read those hear those pop songs watch those movies read those romance novels good luck you know, I'll see you in the next life because you're not going to make mm. it, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Okay, I better go. Okay, Gumash, thank you I'm so much. Feeling your separation, but I have to leave. And thank you all. all. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Jai Ho. Mahatma Prabhu Ki Jai. Okay, so everybody, um, 
some info for the sexual purity course. Um, I am actually just going to just click uh, post here now. Camp, I just posted the link again. So it's right there. And um, you just go to that link. You purchase the course. Once, you, once you've purchased it, you're added to a group. You, I mean, you're added to the course and the course group. Now, the course group is meant to create interaction between the users, make it interactive, ask questions, whatever. And then um, there are about 40 lessons with videos and exercises, so it's really quite comprehensive. Um, it begins on the September the 6th, but I, I imagine that you know, you don't necessarily have to begin on that day. I think it's available and you just join and work through it at your own pace. And um, and then also the last thing is Mahatma Prabhu will do a weekly or bi-weekly live session and webinar answering any questions. So that's going to be a great benefit. I'm not sure exactly what the price of the course is, but knowing Mahatma Prabhu, it's very affordable. It's, he never makes his prices so that it's... um. So that it's it's yeah okay so it's twenty one twenty one dollars, yo, that's like nothing, that's like nothing. So yeah, please support if you need this help. Um, you know, do the thing. Yeah, <laughs> do the thing. <laughs> okay, Jai Jagannath Prabhu, shall we head out? What do you say? Do we have do we, do we have something else to say to the people? No, not without our guests, because we know we want to hear from the guests also. So we'll yes, yes, yes. Don't worry, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. We have some good stuff coming for you guys in the near future. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's just announce that quickly. So next week we have Madhavananda Prabhu coming on to talk about Vedic pornography. Damn. So that's a thing. And then uh, the week <laughs> after that, on the thirty-first, we're going to be having. Um, a pretty interesting episode called 108 Shades of Grey. And that is basically going to be a little uh, report back on the research that we've done. Um, we, we, sent out, we made a questionnaire a few months ago to basically get an idea of where devotees are at in terms of their sexual values. And um, we've received some super interesting data. So we'll be sharing that on the 31st on this particular episode and just discussing really openly what we've discovered. That's going to be really cool. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the near future, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And Haribo. Chinese die. Yeah, yeah, yeah.